to episode four of season one of the Danny Nerdnik podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Welcome. We've got a great show coming up for you today. We're going to discuss uh, Mirepoix and its place in cuisine, its creation, the development of Mirepoix, and uh, exactly what it is, where it came from, where it's going to, and what it goes in. But before we get to that, in lieu of a usual food trends segment, I wanted to talk about something that I think we really need to think a little bit more about. I, I was talking with a coworker today after I got out of work. We were riding the J train home together. And we'd been talking about being human and what it means to be an American and exactly how life feels. He's, he's of Hispanic heritage, he's Colombian, and you know me, I'm a New York Jew, I appear to be white, so I kinda have white privilege, not kind of, I, I do have white privilege. We were discussing um, all of the civil unrest that's going on right now, and I think what really came out of it was this feeling that the world needs less negativity. We all go around and we, we see the world through the lens that we've created for ourselves after we've programmed ourselves through a, a lifetime of experience to see things one way or the other. And it takes a person who knows that they are in a wider world, uh, an expanded consciousness, and I know that sounds trite, and I'm terribly sorry for that, but just please let me finish this point without turning the podcast off. It takes someone who can see the world from more than one perspective to realize that the negativity we bring, whether consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously, does nothing but divide us. The world needs more love. It needs more respect. It needs, it needs the, the connection that two, two or three or as many humans as you can find have when they find common ground. In my opinion, the human experience isn't about the differences. It's about what brings us together, the commonalities that we share as beings of the same species. And everything that happens that gets passed around the internet, every police shooting that we see, every time Donald Trump says something abhorrent and ridiculous, every time people try to uh, slam Hillary Clinton and fall flat on their face because they've got really nothing backing them up. Every, everything that happens has two sides. And most of the time we just see the negative side. I think moving forward, I'm going to endeavor as a human being to be more positive and attempt to spread more love in this world. It's as simple as seeing an elderly person trying to climb the stairs to the subway or a disabled person trying to climb the stairs to the subway. And if they're really struggling, offer help. 
if you see someone who needs a hand, help. It's not about the things that divide us. It's about the things that bring us together. So please, dear listeners, bear that in mind. Help to make the world a better place to be. Don't, don't be negative. Be more positive. Be loving. Love everybody unconditionally. Even if you don't know them, they're another person. They deserve your love and respect. Just be nice to each other. It's not that difficult. It's not hard to be nice. It doesn't take any extra effort. It just takes mindfulness. And I know, I know how ridiculous this sounds, and I'm sorry for that. But we need, we need to get our shit together. And I apologize for the expletive, but it's true. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our families. We owe it to the stranger in the street just to be nice to each other. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, but, but people are terrible. There are murderers and thieves and rapists. Yeah, there are. Those people are assholes. And you're always going to find assholes wherever you go. There's going to be an asshole. But you shouldn't be one. I try not to be. And maybe sometimes I fail in that. But I hope, I hope the majority of the time I'm a, I'm a good person. And I, I help to bring a little bit of joy into the world. A little bit of love into the world. Sorry. Didn't mean to get all heavy. Um, coming up, we're going to talk about Mirepoix, and I might even add a little extra segment onto this episode for value, so you didn't have to put up with me just jawing about hippie values for, you know, seven minutes. So uh, join us after the break, and we'll talk about Mirepoix. Woohoo! Stick around. Welcome back to the Danny Nerdnik Podcast, Season 1, Episode 4. Today we are talking about the base of the majority of world cuisines. That is to say, mirepoix. So, mirepoix is a roughly chopped vegetable cut, excuse me, using a mixture of onions, carrots, and celery, and the traditional ratio for this is usually two-part onions, one-part carrots, one-part celery. Mirepoix, uh, raw, roasted, or sautéed with butter or olive oil, is the flavor of base for a wide variety of dishes, including soups, stocks, stews, and sauces. Other uh, kind of uh, mixtures like this around the world are um, in Italian sofrito, the Spanish uh, sofrito, and uh, refogado, which is from Portuguese-speaking nations. Uh, and usually it's the same ingredients kind of repeated. Uh, there are a few differences, however, 
uh, sofrito in Italian and Spanish, if I'm not mistaken, are both cooked down to kind of like a jam-like consistency, uh, whereas mirepoix in French and continental cuisine would usually uh, just be lightly sautéed or put into the mix raw. Um, the Germans have Suppenkrün, which translates uh, to soup greens. <laughs> Uh, the Germans are very literal, aren't they? I love German words. They mean exactly what they mean. <laughs> um, there's, an, uh, there's a Polish variant, uh, but I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce it because there are, there are too many consonants in places where consonants shouldn't really be, so I'm just going to kind of spell it out for you. Are you ready? Are you sitting comfortably? W, L with a slash kind of diagonally through the middle. O, S, Z, C, Z, Y, Z, N. How many Z's are there? That's too many Z's. That's not right. Goodness. But uh, my research says that that particular word in Polish means Italian stuff. And usually uh, in that mixture, you have leeks, carrots, celery root, and parsley root, which sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It's Mirepoix, fantastic. Uh, in U.S. food, in United States-based food, you'll find this um, next item in Cajun and Creole cuisine. It's called the Holy Trinity, and it's onions, celery, and bell peppers. Uh, and the French also have a second one of these kind of base flavoring mixtures, and it's called duxel, which is onion, shallot, and mushrooms sautéed in butter, usually with cream. Uh, one really good use for duxel is filling a roasted tomato and topping that roasted tomato filled with duxel with breadcrumbs uh, that have parmigiano, reggiano uh, shredded or grated into it. And you kind of Put a little bit of butter on top and throw it in the oven to toast up the top of that that tomato really good side with a roasted uh, fowl of some kind uh let's see here in the history department we have uh, a couple stories regarding mirepoix and here here they are uh though the cooking technique is probably older uh, the term mirepoix dates back to the 18th century, and it's said that it derives, uh, just like a lot of other uh, French food names, from the aristocratic employer of the cook that was credited with establishing and stabilizing it. In this case, uh, Charles-Pierre Gaston François de Lévy, Duc, Duc de Lévy Mirepoix, who was uh, born in 1699 and died in 1757. Uh, he was a French field marshal and ambassador and a member of the noble family of Lévy, the lords of Mirepoix and Languedoc since the 11th century. According to Pierre Larousse, who was quoted in the Oxford Companion to Food, the unfortunate Duke of Mirepoix was an incompetent and mediocre individual who owed his vast fortune to the affection Louis XV felt toward his wife and who had but one claim to fame. He gave his name to a sauce that made all kinds of meat and a variety of seasonings. Wow! I think that's the uh, the 18th century equivalent of Pete Wells's most recent review of Per Se. 
It's just like, all right, we're going to punch you in the face now. Enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to take it and you're going to like it. God. Wow, LaRusse really tore that guy a new one, huh? That's kind of crazy. Um, going forward, the term is not encountered regularly in French culinary texts until the 19th century. So it's kind of difficult to figure out what a dish a la mirepoix was like in 18th century France. Uh, Beauvilliers, for instance, in 1814 gives a short recipe for a, a sauce a la mirepoix, uh, which is a buttery wine-laced stock garnished with an, an aromatic mixture of carrots, onions, and a bouquet garni, which is usually celery root, thyme, maybe a bay leaf, some garlic, some black pepper, uh, wrapped up in a leek and tied, and then dropped into um, a soup or stock or a stew that's cooking. Usually it's um, something that has a strong liquid component to it in the bouquet garni, uh, will help to add additional flavor to that dish. So you're going to get uh, your flavors from the meat or the protein or the cheese or the veggies that are in there, but you're also going to get this uh, background flavor that really amps up and raises the flavor level of the food. It's going to give it a little, not a little, a lot more oomph is what a bouquet garni does. Uh, Marie-Antoine Carême, who we will discuss at a later date, says in the 1830s that there was a similar recipe, and he just called it mirepoix, which is M-I-R-E-P-O-I-X, which, if you take the dash out, is how you spell mirepoix right now in the modern times. Um, by the mid-19th century, Guffet refers to mirepoix as a term in use for such a long time that I do not hesitate to use it here. His mirepoix is listed among essences and indeed is a meaty concoction laced with two whole bottles of Madeira wine. That sounds delicious. Hmm. So that, like all of the other essences, were used to enrich many a classic sauce. And by the end of the 19th century, the mirepoix has taken on its modern meaning and Joseph Farvin, his Dictionary Universelle de Cuisine, which was from uh, 1895 and reprinted in 1978, uses that particular term, that is to say mirepoix, to describe a mixture of ham, carrots, onions, and herbs used as an aromatic condiment while uh, making sauces or braising meat. So, like, uh, like the bouquet garni, mirepoix is the, it'll provide a backbone of flavor for any dish you put it in. And it goes in pretty much everything. If you find a dish that doesn't have sofrito or sofrito or uh, the Holy Trinity or mirepoix, I'm going to show you a dish that could be a lot tastier. Huh. There are a couple other styles of French mirepoix, including matignon, which is very similar to mirepoix, except that matignon is designed to be brought to the table and eaten with the dish as kind of like a side dish. According to the 1938 Larousse Gastronomique, a mirepoix may be prepared au gras, which is with meat, or a maire. Au maire. God, my French is terrible, which means lean. So, mirepoix au maire is sometimes called a brunois, though, strictly speaking, this term is more accurate, a more accurate description of cutting uh, the item into a small dice with a knife. A mirepoix au gras contains uh, diced 
ham or pork belly or bacon, um, some kind of pork product as an individual, as an additional ingredient. Similar combinations both in and out of the French culinary repertoire may include leeks, parsnips, garlic, tomatoes, shallots, mushrooms, bell peppers, chilies, and ginger. Yum, freaking yum. Ugh, I really gotta stop doing this show when I'm hungry. Ah, I need a burrito. If anyone out there in podcast land feels like sending me a burrito, just so you know, I'd be more than appreciative. I am hungry. Show your appreciation for this free show by sending its dutiful host a large burrito. Care of Studio 462, Bedford, Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. If uh, you know my number, then just text me and I'll give you the address where you can send my lovely burritos. I'll also take tacos and quesadillas. Um, and occasionally, uh, maybe a pasty or an empanada. Just send food. I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So really, you get a change in the ingredients, the basic ingredients of mirepoix, depending on the region where you're cooking and the other ingredients in the dish. So if you are going to, um, if you're cooking, let's say, um, French food. You would probably use shallots uh, in addition, maybe a little bit of garlic, but you're not necessarily going to use Calabrian chilies. You'd save that for your Italian sofrito. Um, so really, like, like the cuisine that you're cooking, the, the backbone flavors are going to change to suit the, the dish that you're making. Hmm. I seem to have lost my train of thought. It has left me at the station. So uh, let's regroup here. This is hold music, by the way, until I figure out where I am. Um, the analogous sofrito, which uh, frequently contains parsley, is the basis for many traditional dishes in Italian cuisine. And the sofrito serves a similar purpose in Spanish cuisine. Uh, it's gonna be like this tomato-y, onion-y, carrot-y, celery-y, jammy, sweet, caramelized thing that's gonna flavor pretty much any dish it comes into contact with. It's gonna be so hearty and yummy and with a little bit of sweetness and a little bit of acid from your tomatoes and a little bit of seasoning, it's going to add such backbone of flavor to, to whatever dish you're using or you're cooking. Um, in Cajun and Creole cuisine, the mirepoix that they mostly use is the Holy Trinity, which is a combination of onions, celery, and bell peppers. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, the Traditional weight ratio for mirepoix is two to one to one onion, celery, carrots. Uh, if you're going to make a meaty mirepoix, the ratio for bones to mirepoix, actually, I'm terribly sorry, for making stock, and I should have caught this before I said it, and I'm terribly sorry. Uh, my skills one chef would be so ashamed right now. Chef Swallow, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'll edit this out for you. <laughs> so if you're making a stock, 
The ratio for bones to mirepoix for stock is 10 to 1. So if you're going to go um, for stock, 10 parts bones, 1 part veggies. Um, if you're going to make a fond blanc, which is like a white stock, you're going to use parsnips instead of carrots because carrots have beta carotene in them and will turn the stock uh, a rich orange-esque rich orange -esque color. Ah, all right. So when we come back, we're going to discuss dishes that have mirepoix, the uses of mirepoix, now that we have a little background, a little uh, backbone of knowledge, as it were. Um, stick around through the break. We'll talk a little bit about cooking. See you then. back to the Danny Nerdnik podcast. This is Daniel Schwartz, the titular nerd in question. Welcome to segment three. So now you know about Mirepoix and where it's come from. Let's see where it's going to go into. So Mirepoix is the base for a lot of foods that you probably like to eat. If you've ever roasted a chicken, or indeed the Thanksgiving or Christmas turkey, I'm sure you've taken aromatic vegetables and put them inside the cavity of your bird. Did you know that that's a great way to flavor your turkey or chicken? Because it is. It really is. If you put like half an onion, some carrots, and celery inside the cavity of a turkey as you're roasting it, but don't overload because that way you're going to cook a little bit more evenly. If it's too packed full of uh, veggies, you're not going to get enough heat all the way through that bird to release the delicious juices uh, from the veggies, the mirepoix, into the bird. A way to deal with that is to take uh, your veggies and cut them so the inside is exposed, put them onto a plate with water on them, and microwave them for five minutes. That'll start the cooking process and they'll start to get a little bit more fragrant, fragrant and aromatic, which will release their flavors better into the item of food in question. So, did you know that when you make gravy, you should probably have mirepoix in that gravy, but not added to it as you add the roux and the stock or wine, then the stock, and a little bit of cream for taste. No, when you're roasting your bird, you want to take um, mirepoix in a dice, I would say small to medium, and you want to line the bottom of your pan with it. Then you put your roasting pan, or your uh, rack into your roasting pan, and you put your bird on top. That way, the fat and drippings will come off of your bird into the bottom of the pan, cooking the mirepoix and making it delicious and pliable so when you decide to sanger flour in later, that is to say taking a little bit of flour and uh, cooking it into the fat that's already uh, on the bottom of the roasting pan that's come off of the bird, uh, what it's going to do is it's going to make the starch in the flour gelatinize and start to take in the rest of the fat and make what's called roux. 
So roux is a great thickener. It is flour and fat based. It gelatinizes, the starch gelatinizes and takes in the liquid and it, uh, it starts to take in more and more liquid and it thickens whatever liquid it's in. So it's a really great way to make gravy. So from roasting, you take your, your bird out of the oven, you take the rack off, uh, you take the rack out of the roasting pan, you put it on another pan, probably a cookie sheet, and you cover that bird with tinfoil to make sure it doesn't dry out uh, while you're resting it. Then you're going to take your mirepoix and your fat and your drippings, and you're going to kind of clarify the fat by putting it on the stove and allowing heat to make it bubble a little bit. Then once the fat looks clear, you're going to take your flour, I'd say no more than uh, two ounces of flour if it's a medium-sized roasting pan, and you're gonna uh, whisk the flour into the fat. You're gonna let the uh, mixture, the roux that forms, um, kind of assume the texture of wet sand. You're gonna let that cook out for a little while so you get the starch flavor, the flour flavor out of it, and then you're going to whisk in um, either some wine or I like brandy. Madeira wine is also good. Rum works in a pinch. Whiskey's great for this application. But let's just say, uh, in this case, regular old white wine. You're going to want to go with just your normal cooking wine. Uh, Franzia Chablis is fine for this application. Uh, you're just going to put a, a little bit of wine in there to deglaze a little bit and to start uh, loosening the roux up. Then you're going to go chicken stock. Uh, you're going to go over on your chicken stock. You're going to put more than you think you need. So it's going to it's going to look a little bit watery, but keep in mind roux is a really great thickener. One uh, pound of roux will thicken one gallon of stock um, and that uh, is called a velouté. Any uh, stock that's been thickened by roux is called a velouté. It's one of the mother sauces, which we will discuss during our episode on carême. Stay tuned for that. Let's get back to mirepoix. So your mirepoix in your roux mixture, now with the wine and chicken stock, is going to flavor it. Like we said in the last segment, give a backbone of flavor. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for uh, a lot of flavor packed into this soon-to-be gravy. Keep in mind uh, that that the mixture, the liquidy mixture that you have now, is going to start thickening rather quickly, so you got to keep an eye on it. You're also going to see, as you uh, simmer the soon-to-be sauce, uh, you're going to see f like scum, uh, bubbles and stuff form, not bubbles, but like a, a little um, unappetizing slick of nastiness, I guess, form on the top of uh, your sauce. So you're going to take a spoon and a bowl and you're going to just skim that right off the top and throw it on away. You're going to keep doing it until you don't really see any more of that scum forming. What that is, is proteins coagulating and presenting themselves on the top because um, that's just kind of where they stick best. So once you get rid of that, you're just going to keep simmering until uh, your, your gravy comes up uh, and looks gravy-like, really. Uh, but don't go too far because as soon as it looks gravy-like and you're, you're still on the heat, 
it's too late, you've overcooked it. Not that you can't thin it back out, it's just another step and you wanna get that gravy into the gravy boat and on the table because the kids are screaming and you're really hungry. Okay, so now that you have your pre-gravy um, at the point where it has uh, the thickness uh, where it coats the back of the spoon and if you draw your finger across the back of the spoon, there's a clear line through the gravy and it doesn't necessarily run you've got your consistency where you need it. So you're gonna pull that off the heat into that. Um, if you feel so inclined, you can whisk a little bit of, of cream, but then you're gonna to need to put it back on just to tighten it back up a little bit. And also, here's an interesting point. Heavy cream does not thin. Heavy cream only thickens liquids. It only thickens sauces. Because heavy cream, once the liquid, the water, leaves the cream, all you're left with is the water that's in the fat and the fat content. So as the water leaves, it thickens. This is the same thing with naturally reducing any stock or gravy or soup or any liquid. As the liquid leaves, you're going to have the concentrated parts of the item of the liquid that aren't water because water plus heat equals evaporation. I think we are all perfectly aware of that. So now we have our gravy that's ready to go. Um, you can also use mirepoix uh, in any number of applications. Um, soups, flavors soups really well. You'll find in most chicken soup recipes the three things in there, your, your three aromatics, sometimes four if you decide to add garlic, are carrots, onions and celery. Guess what that is? Um, in Cajun food, you'll find the holy trinity, bell peppers, celery, and onion. Uh, any uh, gumbo or um, uh, etouffee, any Cajun food, you'll find this as the base. It lends itself well to spicy food as well as sharp food. It also lends itself to mild food and delicate food. If you want to go really delicate, you replace the carrots um, in your uh, in your mirepoix with a parsnip, and you'll get a white stock, like we said before. You'll use that white stock for a fricassee, and so here's what a fricassee is, because I know you have, you've all seen Looney Tunes, and you all laugh when uh, Daffy Duck says. I'm I'm not a stewing duck. I'm a fricasseeing duck. It might be um, it might be Bugs Bunny, and if I am, I'm if it is, I'm terribly sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to mess up my Looney Tunes. It was an accident. <laughs> All right, so fricasseeing. Fricassee is a, a dish, and what it is usually it'll be with chicken. You'll take a piece of skin on chicken and you'll just barely cook it. You don't want any color on that skin. You want that skin to be white and floppy. Honestly, it's kind of gross, but this is the classic French dish. So you're going to take your uh, chicken that you've just cooked a little bit. You've kind of just tightened the proteins on the skin. You co you've coagulated the proteins on the skin, in the skin. Uh, by cooking them, applying heat that is, and you're going to set them aside. 
Then you're going to take your white stock, that is to say your chicken stock made uh, with parsnip instead of carrots, and you're going to add a blonde roux to that to thicken it up to the point where you can use it as a braising liquid, to which you will add um, boiling onions, pearl onions, and a bouquet garni containing thyme, black pepper, bay leaf, parsley stem, and garlic. And you're going to wrap that up in a leek and tie it with twine. Then you're going to tie that uh, onto the handle of the pot that you're using or the, the pan that you're using. Then you're just going to drop it in and allow it to, um, to flavor the, um, the velouté sauce that you're making. Once you have your velouté sauce ready, when it'll kind of coat the back of the spoon, uh, that's called a light nappe. It'll still run. Uh, nappe, by the way, N-A-P-P-E with a little accent uh, facing backwards above it. And that means it'll coat the back of a spoon. Once you have your consistency for, uh, for your velouté sauce, you're going to put your uh, chicken back in the pan. You're going to pour your velouté into the pan until it covers about three quarters the way up the chicken. Then you're going to bring that, um, that mixture, the chicken and the velouté sauce, to a simmer, and you're going to cover it and put it into a 350-degree oven. Then after about 30 minutes, you're going to pull it out and you're going to check it. You're going to check the doneness. You're going to see if it's still simmering. You're going to take a look at your liquid level if you need to add some more stock to it or not. Then you're going to put it back on the stove. You're going to get it back to a simmer. You're going to recover it and put it into the oven for another 15 minutes. By that time, your chicken should be done. And in that, you will have delicious chicken. You'll have pearl onions. You'll have carrots, onions, and set or carrots, onions, and parsnip. You're going to pull out that bouquet garni. You're going to pull the chicken out with, and you're going to put them uh, on a, a rack or a plate with a little bit of the velouté sauce, and you're going to cover it with tin foil tightly. The reason you're doing this is not only to rest it but to make sure that it has some liquid so it doesn't dry out. Because I'm sure all of you know, dry chicken is awful, terrible. It's a blight upon humanity. It's like chewing sawdust. It's like having tinfoil in your mouth and you can't get it out. Dry chicken is the worst. And if you make chicken dry and you like chicken dry, I'm sorry for you. There's something wrong. You might be a serial killer. You should probably go seek therapy and see if you're a psychopath if you like dry chicken. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Then you're going to take the liquid that you have in your pan, which is going to have all that delicious chickeny goodness in it, and you're going to cook it down until it coats the back of a spoon, and you can draw a line in the back of the spoon and the sauce does not run. At this point, you're going to take the scum off the top like you did with your stock, and you're going to uh, pull out your bouquet garni, you're going to take your chicken, arrange it artfully on a plate, and spoon the sauce over the chicken. Serve this with fettuccine that you make fresh, or rice, or um, any kind of pasta, really. Um, I like to do this dish with um, maybe some mashed potatoes because that sauce is going to be really great. And obviously, you're going to season with salt and pepper because salt and pepper make up the major... Um, the major uh, taste 
sensations that you have other than the actual flavors you're experiencing. Salt actually enhances the flavor of food, not by making food more delicious, but by dilating the, uh, the taste buds on your tongue and making them more receptive to the flavor chemicals that are in the food. Interesting, right? That was Theo Rowe, Chef Rowe, who taught me that. Great man. He taught me a lot about myself and a lot about how to operate within a kitchen. Chef Rowe, if you hear me, if you are in earshot of my voice, thank you. You were tough on me, but you were fair. That was one of the best classes I ever had at CIA, and I appreciate everything you did. So, you know about stock, you know about velouté, you know about chicken fricassee. I guess that's it for a recipe segment. See you after the break. to season one, episode four of the Danny Nerdick podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have found us through Facebook, thank you for clicking on the, the ad that you saw. I really appreciate it. If you found us through SoundCloud, thank you. If a strange short man with great hair and entrancing eyes approached you in public and gave you the website for this podcast, go ahead and give him your phone number. He, uh, he's waiting for you. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for the Danny Nerdnik podcast. Please get out there, spread the word, share the link, share from the Facebook page, retweet, um, resnap. Give me, please just give me a little bit of support. I love doing this show and I want to keep doing it, but unless you guys help get me out there, I'm afraid it's, it's not going to be a thing. So please share, like rate, review, subscribe. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Google Play Store. I think we're on Stitcher. Please, every platform you can, every device you can, give me a share, give me a like, give me a review. Five stars. All right. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Stick around. Uh, there's going to be an In Collection Chapter 2 this week coming up. Um, and hopefully by the end of the week, another episode of the Danny Nerdnik podcast. Stay tuned. Remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do, and if you do, do it well. <laughs>